Welcome to Bloodbath, a true crime podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jamie. Wait, Ash, did you just say true crime? I did. So if I'm easily creeped out by dismemberment and talks of rape, then this probably isn't the podcast for me. Maybe not the episode. Let me try the podcast. We have some other episodes. You're right. You're right. It's like 40 or so. There's got to be one. (laughs) There's got to be at least one good one. There has to be at least one. Well, consider that your blanket trigger warning. You're about to listen to a true crime podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's time for the show. And we're back. Every time. <laughs> it just makes sense, okay? Okay, so Jeez. let's preference this by we're in quite a bit of a mood. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> but we're still going to get through this. This is a pretty lengthy one. So grab a snack until the part where I tell you not to eat anymore. Oh. You know. Eating in true crime sometimes just, ugh. Oh, no. Okay, let's get to the story. Let's do it. All right, so we're going to start off with a 911 call. Ooh, right Hang off on the bat. <laughs> okay, what's going on, sir? There's a body in my son's apartment. There's a what? A body. A dead body. A dead body? Are you sure, sir? Okay, hold on just a minute. Is it someone that you know, sir? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. Does your son know who it is? He's not here. Jesus, honey. Okay. Do you know where your son is? No, I don't. I don't. He's so sorry. Okay. Just keep breathing for me, sir, okay? Where in the apartment is she? She's in the bedroom. She's there was blood from her head? Yeah, honey, I don't know what to say. I okay, just stay in there, okay? I feel it. It is, but is it clear? I'm still here, sir. I'm not going to hang up, okay? Until there's someone there with you. Is anybody else in the apartment besides you? Oh, no. No, no one no, else is no. in there? Yeah, here's somebody. Okay. Sir, who are you talking to now? of that yeah i know the end of it sounds a little shocking but steve is good steve is good he he just found her dead body in his son's room he's going through it okay okay but uh, there's so much that happened we're gonna get into it okay please i need so i need more (laughs) hello can i have context please (laughs) (laughs) so on may 10 2010 as we heard steve has just found a deceased woman in his son's bedroom in his son's own apartment so they don't live together Mm-hmm. The body in his son's room is 23-year-old Julie Kubuishi, Kibuishi, who was born in Southern California on Valentine's Day. Mm-mm. She was always into sports, but at five years old, she found dance, and she was an amazing dancer. Competed in one of so many competitions. She was accepted into the Orange County School of Arts, which is where a lot of well-known actors and Hollywood actresses and actors go to. Uh, Glee, Matthew Morrison went there and uh pedro pascal from the mandalorian mm. also graduated from there it's like she was gonna go far anyone and everyone said that julie radiated kindness and was always there whenever a friend needed someone 
And that's unfortunately what would lead to her death. Mm. Not her being nice. Come on. I know. I mean, it's like this whole, the whole thing with Ted Bundy. All of his victims, most of his victims, were people trying, women trying to help him. Right. They I literally feed on this energy. I, I saw someone the other day was saying there was this guy who picked out girls in the grocery store who either, like, said, oh, excuse me, or, like, I'm sorry, I'm in your way. Like, be, have, being oh my polite. Or girls who had ponytails because they were easy targets to pull their hair. And it's like, for being oh. nice and having a ponytail, you're going to fucking rape me? That is insane. Uh, what? That's oh my FBA god. FBI watch list, please. <laughs> like I, seriously, you're just making the world more cruel. Cause I I'm, I stand for manners. I stand for being you know, a nice person. Right? The stay rude, stay weird is getting a little bit more real. <laughs> Upsettingly, so yes. Yeah. So while out for dinner, Julie got a text from her friend Sam Hare, asking her to come over because he really needed someone to talk to. They were amazing friends. He looked at Julie as his sister, and this is super known because Steve even asked him at one point, his dad, like, is there anything between you two? And he's just like, absolutely not. She's like a kid sister to me, which like, I have one of those two. Platonic relationships do exist, people. They do. They do. <laughs> so Julie was out for dinner with her brother, Taka, and as soon, and, uh, and, his, and her soon-to-be sister-in-law, sorry. And they were actually out for dinner because Taka and his wife, fiance, wanted to ask Julie to be their bridesmaid. That's cute. Which, obviously, she accepted. And she was super excited. They gave her, like, this little tiara that she would be wearing at the the reception or whatever. Just a little something. But the tiara does come into play later. Oh, great. Yeah. While at dinner, she was still getting texts from Sam saying that he really needed someone to talk to. And Julie being the compassionate person she was, she finished up dinner with her brother and then headed right over to Sam's apartment. But not before telling her brother how excited she was to be a bridesmaid and for the wedding. When she got to the house, Julie was shot in the head. Her clothes were ripped and there was a note written on her clothes that said, fuck you, all yours. What? Yep. So Sam Hare is missing. And Sam Hare was a 26-year-old living in Long Beach, California. Sam had joined the military as a Marine combat vet and was deployed out to Afghanistan. When he came back home, he met Julie while they were both in the same college, and he was struggling with uh, anthropology class. Mm-hmm. So Julie offered to tutor him, which really worked out because they ended up getting an A in that class. You're welcome. And that's when they like became friends, you know? And then Sam Hare was described by friends and loved ones as easy to like, happy-go-lucky, and a big goof. (laughs) Got these descriptions from 2020, by the way. (laughs) That's adorable. Unfortunately, though, Sam was not superhuman, and he started to show signs of PTSD, which was a direct result from his time in Afghanistan and literally being on the front-line trenches. Like, he was in it. In it, in it. Mm Mm-hmm. So Sam was supposed to come to see his parents the weekend that followed after Julie's body was found. But when Saturday came and there was no Sam, Steve was calling him and it was going straight to voicemail. Which his dad says is very unlike him because they have like a really good relationship. They communicate so frequently. So Steve heads over to his house where he finds Julie and calls 911. Sam is nowhere to be found though, so the hunt is on. The cops are now looking for a combat veteran with severe PTSD, and is suspected of being armed, dangerous, and killed his best friend. Great! (laughs) She says sarcastically. (laughs) (laughs) So, police head over to Julie's mom's house, and they're trying to get information from her. At the time, one of the officers goes out to his car, and when he comes back, he just has that face of... You know, someone who's just gotten really bad news. That that face where you're just like, oh, no. I know that face, and I don't like it. Take it off. <laughs> you're like, I know I know what's coming. It's not good. Yeah, it's not. And the officer tells her that they found Julie's body in Sam's apartment. She's in complete disbelief, and all she could say is no, 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 like, repeatedly. And she was in complete denial. But, eventually, the evidence of Julie's purse, her phone being there... 
along with her body being there, you, you can't deny it anymore. Yeah, it's kind of it. So it's, it's cut and dry, right? As the officers mm-hmm. think, too. Sam has raped Julie, killed her, and now he's out on the run. Um, no. So many more layers. An actual onion. Sam had gotten into the wrong crowd when he was 18, kind of involved in different gangs, and within that, somebody had gotten killed, and then in connection with that, another person got killed. 23 people and Sam were arrested for this, and they were all charged with murder. Sam was eventually acquitted, However, it's still on his record. Like, it's still there. Police can still see that. So that's adding more to Julie. Okay? It was after this, like, run with the law, I guess you can say, that he decided to also join the military. (laughs) I I don't... That's what I'm wondering, is how was he able to do that with having a record like that? I'm thinking maybe the acquittedness of it. Like, maybe it was in a way that he was able to still join... Or maybe it was one of those scenarios where it's like, you can choose prison or military. They haven't done that since the 80s. Oh. He hadn't been, like, super acquitted then. Like, super. I swear. Maybe it's not even on his record and some of the cops just know about it. I mean, a lot of cops remember gang activity and they remember people. Wait, how old was he when they, this happened? When he was 18. No, because if he was younger, then his, his record would have been sealed. But he's, he's of age. That yeah. they would have had access. Maybe Holy they just shit. really needed them. <laughs> <laughs> so, as most parents would believe that their kid wouldn't murder someone, let alone someone they platonically loved, Steve decided to do some investigating himself to find his son. Steve is calling Sam's friends, and none of them have seen him, but they are helping him out by giving him numbers to people that he can call. Eventually, he gets hold of Daniel Wozniak, and he tells them the last day he saw Sam was on Friday. Finally, Steve is able to get into Sam's bank account records, and wouldn't you know it, there was money being withdrawn out of it for the past three days at an ATM in Long Beach, not far from Sam's apartment. Steve goes down to the ATM in Long Beach, and he just sits in the parking lot, trying to wait to see if Sam will show up. (laughs) Like, come home. Is he dumb? (laughs) Is he dumb? Oh, That's so stupid. When we get, we'll get into it. I'm not trying to give it away. Okay. We got some sorry, constructive okay. criticism, and okay. <laughs> you're doing it, it more of a mystery. <laughs> mm. Not you're doing it wrong. He's doing it wrong. You're doing it oh, right. Keep he's going. He's doing it so wrong. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. I'm gonna get too far ahead of myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Steve's sitting in the parking lot waiting for Sam to come up to the ATM so he could be like, "What the fuck, son? Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> I don't think he doesn't have like br- the laundry family vibes of like i'm gonna help you get away with this no no he he's just like i i don't think my son did this and i want to find him and if he did do it i would turn him over that's that's the vibe he gives okay so think of this big brain steve calls back daniel to which now he's changing his story oh. right, a little red flag going up mm-hmm. <laughs> he tells steve that sam confided in him about some family drama that was going on and that he just needed to quote get away but, as you recall, Sam and Steve have an amazing father-son relationship. And there is no family drama going on. And let alone there's no family drama that Sam wouldn't talk to Steve about. Like, at all. They have a really great relationship. So, Sam's like, okay. Or Steve, sorry. Steve's like, okay, you're, you're lying in his head. Not telling him. Doesn't want to tip him off. <laughs> and... Steve's not your average dad. He's a cash detective, okay? He's putting things together. And he puts together a big thing. Daniel's number is the only one with a Long Beach area code. Out of all the numbers he has of his friends, out of all the numbers he got from Sam's friends, the only one. And Sam and Daniel live in the same apartment complex. They're neighbors. Hmm. Hmm. Suspicious. Suspicious. Steve is letting investigators know that what he's finding, I'm pretty sure. But at the same time, they also get access to the ATM cameras to see who is withdrawing the money. And it appears to be a white male wearing a hoodie and a hat. A hoodie and a hat. Oh, yeah, hoodie. I, for some reason, I thought a hoodie was also on your head. <laughs> like, he has a hat on a and, hat then and then a hoodie, hoodie. over yeah, the head. Yeah. yeah. And 
they estimate he's about 20 to 17 to 20 years old and he's taking out money on Sam's account. It's obvious that this isn't Sam. Sam's a pretty jacked dude and really good looking. And this is not Sam. <laughs> Just saying. So get this. The ATM is next to a pizza shop, right? And get some pizza. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. pizza do be snitching on bad people. Because you see, Sam's card was used to buy some pizza. Ooh. The police were like, hey, what's up? Where's that going? Ah, okay, cool. Thanks. Two police cars, an FBI van, and a helicopter show up to this house. Holy shit. They go up to the house and 17-year-old Wesley answers the door. Probably shits himself. Actually, I know he shits himself because he's on the 2020 episode. <laughs> and they're questioning him, like, where the fuck is Sam? How do you know him? And he's like, dude, I don't know a Sam. And they're like, sure, okay. No. But they're like, oh, really quick, we realize that he was not a murderer. He was not a part of this. He was scared as shitless. But they're like, how the fuck do you have Sam's card then? What, what is this? He's like, I got it from my friend Daniel Wozniak. Huh. Oh, my God. Weird. Why does this name keep coming up? Hmm. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Uh, so Daniel came up to Wesley and told him that he needed to withdraw money out of Sam's account because Sam owes money to Bale's bondsman and he needs help withdrawing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It gets worse. Daniel mm-hmm. literally had a folder put together with paperwork showing Wesley that this was all legal. It wasn't. And that everything was going to be okay. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Again, watching the 2020 episode on this case, they're talking about how Wesley is 17. And Daniel is someone that he's known and trusts. So when Daniel tells him that he needs to wear a hat and sunglasses while doing this, he's thinking he's helping his friends. Also, he's thinking that he's helping somebody that he looks up to. Because like they're in this mm-hmm. play together. This is like a brotherly figure for Wesley being a 17-year-old kid. Daniel being in his 20s, you know? Yeah. He doesn't know any better. Yeah, his brain's not developed. <laughs> it probably developed real quick after this, though. <laughs> you would hope. So let's get into Daniel Wozniak, unfortunately. Daniel Wozniak was born in Long Beach, California, March 23rd, of 1984. Course. He was part of the local theater and was the main character in an upcoming show. And from what Wesley was saying, he was a great guy. People always wanted to be around him. He was the guy that was always making other people laugh. And Wesley had met him through the acting courses and the play and everything. Looked at him as a brother. Yada, yada, yada. On top of being the main role in the play, he's also planning a wedding with his fiance Rachel May Buffet. Which is a cute name. It's a cute <laughs> that's name. That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of meant to be on In Lights. Rachel May Buffet. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we'll get to her later so okay. she's also in the play they're both the main leads and they both are a main interest in the in the sh- in, yeah yeah oh gag <laughs> rachel and dan uh are said to have been complete opposites of each other daniel being charismatic and social and rachel being more standoffish and she would often come off as rude which some people just have that raven-esque Teen Titans vibe, and that, we sure do. <laughs> and some people are Starfire. It's just how it rolls. So, Dan and Rachel are unemployed. Daniel, sorry, are unemployed, and he's two months behind in rent. Yikes. He's about to be evicted, but with help from friends, he was kind of making it by. Not too well, though. Also, I get they're planning a wedding. A little help. From my friends. Why are you planning a wedding when you have no money? Exactly. And so they're at a party and a local jazz singer is hearing Dan and Rachel talk about their money problems, to which he offers them a loan for a couple thousand dollars to help them with rent. Here, buddy. I'm sorry. What in the movie just happened? I know. A now, local jazz singer. A local jazz singer at a party. <laughs> just imagine just hears him. them talking. Sitting on the stoop and listening in, and he's like, oh, I feel like being, you know, having an act of kindness today. These two young <laughs> lovebirds want to, you know, get married. Let and me offer play. them some money. Right? Like, Here what? you go. Live the dream. Yeah. <laughs> so I can get the saxophone out. <laughs> Goes away into the bush. <laughs> yeah. 
Like what in the Doctor Facilier? <laughs> yes. The That'll Shadow cost Man. You. <laughs> Just oh. your boys. So, this takes off a little bit of stress from their shoulders, but then a different type of stress starts creeping on up. The feds have Daniel's full name, and they want to have a conversation with him. They call up Dan and tell him they want to talk. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not available. I'm at my bachelor party. To which the cops are like, oh, man, so sorry to bug you. Just let us know when you're ready to come talk to us. No. What? No, they were not. What? They head over to the sushi restaurant that he's having his bachelor party at. And as soon as Dan saw the detectives, his face just dropped. It went completely pale. He tried to do that thing where, like, he looks away. Like, I don't see you. You don't see me. You know? like Yeah. Yeah. But they saw each other. They walk right up to him in front of all of his little buddies. And they arrest him. And they bring him in for questioning. The first thing he says when they, like, have a face-to-face, he goes, Okay, I'm done protecting Sam. I'm ready to tell you everything. Oh, are you? Mm, that's oh, are suspicious. You? Okay. So we're going to have many different stories. I'm sure of it. And then we I'm have sure a couple more audios. But let's dive in. He's brought into the room. From what it looks like, his shoes are off or he has really white skinny shoes. <laughs> that's, that, that's weird. Like They took his shoes, okay? <laughs> okay? And he's sitting in the chair and his ankles are crossed. So like he's like leaning. Like, he literally looks like he's just kind of there chilling with two of his detective buddies, getting the getting the tea on what's been happening. Like, <laughs> I can see you Googling him. He literally looks so nonchalant. And he tells the detectives he and Sam had a plan. This plan was Dan would withdraw money from Sam's account, and then Sam would report his account that it got stolen so that he can get the money back. So it would help... Daniel with money, and Sam would get it back. Okay? He's being asked all these questions. Why did you have the card? Why did you give it to Wesley through the transactions? And the big money question, where the fuck is Sam? Yeah. He just keeps saying he doesn't know, and you can see and hear he is starting to get frustrated. He goes through, like, these little spurts of, like, I don't know, to, like, I don't know, man. (laughs) Like, it's very up and down. They're continuing to question him about the money withdrawals because it just doesn't make sense to them that he would have to plan with Sam and involve Wesley in it, too. There's just there's too many players to this plan. Slowly but surely, his story starts changing. He says that Saturday after the first ATM withdrawal at 8.30 a.m., Sam knocks on his door and and Dan asks Sam, Hey, man, what's going on? Everything good? To which Sam says, not good. I did something bad. Like a really bad play. (laughs) Dan asks what he did, and Sam says, quote, There's a body in my apartment. I shot somebody. I was not happy about it. It was a fit of rage. Now detectives are like, tell us the truth. You're not telling us everything, and quote, my favorite part, they say to his face, you're not that good of an actor. No. <laughs> I just know oh, I cut him right so deep. Ooh, straight to the heart. <laughs> At this point now, Daniel's fuming. He's walking around. He's pacing. The interrogation is getting to him. He's like kind of yelling at them now. And he's like, what else do you want from me? What do you want me to say? Like full chest. Okay. They finally get him to calm down, sit and go back to his chair. And then things start to get twisted. He goes back to the story where Sam comes knocking on the door. And this time he says that he said, we're in trouble. We need to get the fuck out of here. As they're driving. Okay, we're going back. We're We're changing the story a little bit. As they're driving, he tells Dan that there's a dead body in his apartment. And that he has been doing some heavy drugs. And he shot somebody. Okay. Again, Sam says, I was not happy about it. It was a fit of rage. But then he adds, but honestly, she had it coming. What? Okay. The detectives are picking up on the little tweaks he's adding, and he's starting off as money fraud, and now we're all the way into murder. And on the spectrum of true crime, 
those are those are kind of miles apart. So you started with money fraud, and now you know of a body. Like at the very least, accessory to murder. Hello. Yeah. You know. A little. Yeah. <laughs> like you're fucked no matter what, my dude. Dan tells Sam, "Dude, I'm not one to judge, but you fucking got me into this." To which Sam said, "Well." I know where you live, and if you rat me out, I'm going to fucking kill you. And better yet, I'm going to start with your wife. So now we're adding in that Sam's threatening Daniel. Okay. You didn't want to start off with that? Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Come on. Damn, Damn Daniel. <laughs> Damn, Daniel. <laughs> Sorry, so I hit bad. my mic when I left. <laughs> so bad. So Sam tells Dan he needs to drop off him somewhere that people wouldn't expect and he says that the safest place to do this at where do you think is the safest place to drop somebody off that's going to be being searched for for murder please either be 7-Eleven or a motel it's the mall oh it's the mall he drops him off at the mall detectives are think they're like what excuse me the mall that makes no sense. There's cameras everywhere. There's people everywhere. Also, now all of a sudden you're being threatened. Make it make sense, sir. He then says his first provable lie. Oh, I just I love interrogation videos when you know they're lying and you just watch them lie. Oh, it's so good. And they like they <laughs> squirm and it's like Jesus, dude. You're like, ha, 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 he's cracking. <laughs> So he says that the person in the hat getting money from the ATM, Wesley, was made up that that was a lie so that he wouldn't be caught doing it. He doesn't know that they know that Wesley's real. So now he's oh saying that that was him. He, like, he doesn't know there's cameras on ATMs? I don't know. And now they're like, okay, let's get this ball running. And they're like, so, can we get some DNA? Some Dunna? Dunna swab? Some Dunna. And the detectives tell him it will be quick. It'll be able to eliminate him. And this is when his demeanor fucking changes. He gets the swab done. Ah, uh-uh, open wide. And he starts kind of sitting upright, feet flat on the floor. Like, hmm. And just keeps kind of repeating, eliminate me. Eliminate me? Like, questioning him. <laughs> To which the detective's like, okay, so this is it. Jeez. That was good. Oh, wait, hold on. Hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. They get the mouse swab. And the detective just goes, that's it. And Dan's just like, oh, cool. That wasn't all that bad. Chuckling. You can see his demeanor kind of relaxing. He's like grabbing his water bottle, thinking he's about to dip out of there. <laughs> no. The detective says, there should be no reason why we should find your DNA anywhere in a certain area and stuff like that. That's why we're doing it. Very strategic. Mm-hmm. Very strategic thought out sentence. And Dan is just like, oh, hmm, there's some, there's some doubt being planted in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, does he know how Dana works? Oh, he does. And he's nervous. All of a sudden, Dan says, now, I was in Sam's apartment Friday afternoon, and I know I did use the bathroom. The detectives take notes, and Dan says, I used the bathroom, um, and I went, I'm not sure if I went on the patio or not. <laughs> what? Okay. And the guy's just like, where's the DNA going to show up? And he's like, it could be in Sam's car, too. I was in his car. And they're like, what about Julie? Quickly, he says, no, it wouldn't be on Julie. Another big question. Did you see Julie dead in the apartment? Obviously, he quickly says no. The detective says, are you sure about that? Oh. Even if you're telling the truth, the are you sure about that sentence? Anxiety. Where's my soul loft? (laughs) They literally, that's like every check ride when they're asking you questions and you you say something confidently and they go are you sure you're like well not anymore <laughs> not anymore and then they back it up as well with we'll give you a second to actually think about it oh no oh. <laughs> <laughs> and 
now Daniel is frazzled again. They are cracking this man like an egg. They're telling him his story is bogus, asking him why he didn't ask Sam where the gun is, that he used to kill Julie, and he's yelling at them, I have nothing to do with this because my life was in danger. And my wife, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a quote. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Finally, Dan gets up, and he's walking around yelling at the detectives, and they say in the 2020 episode, it feels like he's doing a play, like he's acting really badly. He says, yeah, yeah, it really is. Like, this is a really great 2020 episode. Uh, He says that he wants to go now. And they let him get up, thinking he's about to just head out, when he's met at the door with another detective who informs him he's not going anywhere. He's being arrested for accessory to murder. Weird. Who to thunk? And then they tell him, like, you can either sit down or you can go to your holding cell. Up to you. But he just, he's hit with a fucking brick wall. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He just keeps repeating, whoa, whoa, whoa. They keep talking. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Why are you still talking? <laughs> and he's just like, I'll tell you anything if it just gets me to my wedding on Friday. Honey, no. You ain't making it to your wedding. No. He finally says, I went upstairs and yes, I saw the goddamn body. Is that what you want to hear? The detectives are like, no, we want to hear the truth. To which she says, under his breath, that is the truth. What? Mm-hmm. They ask how his DNA got on Julie's body, and he says, under his breath, because I was standing right above the body. They tell him that DNA doesn't just fall off. It's not how DNA works. <laughs> so he they doesn't know how that. DNA works. I guess got he it. doesn't. <laughs> and they're just like, why are you continuing to play dumb? They ask what he saw from Julie's body, and he said, quote, I saw two gunshots in her head. So get this. When the cops and detectives first found Julie's body, you could only see one gunshot wound. Only one gunshot wound was visible in the way that she was laying. It was known that there was two gunshot wounds to her head once she was moved. Therefore, he unknowingly just admitted to either A, admitting he was there when she was shot, or B, he killed Julie. Yeah, one or the other. Congratulations. You played played yourself. yourself. (laughs) (laughs) He notices that he's starting to fuck up and he's done talking. So he asks them if he can just go to his holding cell. And once there, he calls his fiance, Rachel May Buffet. Oh boy. What did you do? I helped Sam cover some stuff up and helped him get some drugs. That's it. I didn't murder anybody. My mom's working on canceling all the wedding plans now, and I just talked to Tim, and I need to make a phone call to the detective now. Why? Tim says he has evidence with them, or, or he knew where it was or something. Then I'm doomed. What? Tim said that? Yeah. Do you know that Tim had some evidence? Yeah. God, oh God, oh God. Well, this is, this is ridiculous, and I have to go tell the detective no, the truth. No, I, no, I was... don't, don't, don't. Oh, no. Buddy. Buddy, you're screwed. Buddy. Okay, ha- like, do they know? Like, do they know that, that those are not private phone calls? Oh, she does. So here's the other part of it. She says, I forgot, I don't think I had that part, but she's like, these are literally recorded, and I'm going to the detective. (laughs) She's like, the fuck, Mm -hmm. I'm not, no. Like I said, we'll get into her later. As you hear, Tim, Daniel's brother, has evidence, supposedly, and she found out when she went over to Daniel's parents' house to tell them what was going on. She bumped into Tim, and that's when he told her. Dan had given, sorry, I keep calling Dan and Daniel. Daniel had given Tim a bag of evidence, literally, it was like a duffel bag, which had Sam's passport, Sam's bloody clothes, 
two shell casings from the murder of Julie Kibuishi and, and Sam's cell phone and some other paperwork. They say in the episode of 2020, they're like, this is literally, as a, like a prosecutor, as an FBI agent, as anybody, this is all you can ever wish for. It's just to have this shit handed to you. It's just a bag <laughs> of done. evidence. Exactly. Like, literally. What? Signed, sealed, delivered. It's yours. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's for them. So Daniel told Tim to, quote, get rid of it. To which Tim throws it over the fence of their parents' house. He didn't quite well, understand the... What's the word? Severity? The of gravity. Getting rid of the, the gravity of getting rid of this bag. He's like, out of sight, out of mind. Same, dude. ADHD for life. <laughs> oh my God. So back on the phone with Daniel and him freaking out that Tim is willing to give over the evidence, he then asked Rachel if she would go, if he should go to prison or a mental hospital. Okay. As if he has a choice. Should I go to prison or the mental hospital? They picked the mental hospital. As if they actually have the fucking choice. Just just because there is the insanity plea does not mean it's going to work on everybody. They test your mental fitness. Yeah, there's that. And then also, like we've said a million times too, why why don't these people listen to us? Going to a mental hospital when you're not mentally insane? Oh, it is not. You're not not about to have a cake time. That is not you get your cake and eat it too. That is it is not better. Scary. It is. Nope. So they're choosing the mental hospital. And which he calls, <laughs> which you can do. And he's like, hey, yo, I need to talk to the detectives again. Bring them back out. They bring them in. They're like, okay, hey, you want to talk to us? He's like, yes. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. <laughs> Who let the adults <laughs> And, oh my God. So this is about two minutes long of the interrogation. You're going to hear the point where he starts to laugh. Oh, no. And he's trying to make it sound crazy. And my favorite part of the 2020 episode is when they show this part. And then they show a clip of him doing his play. And it's the same exact laugh. No. Here it is. You said you wanted to talk to me. What's going on? I'm crazy and I did it. You did what? I killed Julie and I killed Sam. Okay. Uh, tell me how you uh, you killed Sam. Two shots. Using my father's gun that I had. And your motive behind uh, uh, killing Sam was? Money and insanity. Money and insanity. Okay. <laughs> tell me about... Uh, uh, the Sam incident and what you did. Um, I told him that I needed to move some stuff from the theater. I said, you need to bend down and help me lift this thing up. And when he bent down, I grabbed the gun. I never really fired the gun before, so I pulled it back and I shot him. Okay. Is there anything that you said to Julie prior to shooting her? No, I didn't. I had, um, I got her in. I was downstairs in my apartment. I was still text messaging. That was Sam's phone you were using? Yes. Okay. What, what sort of text messaging were you doing back before? I was saying, you need to come over tonight. You need to come over tonight. What, what did you say to Julie? Julie was wearing like a crown tiara. She had just come from her brother's. I had said, like, um, Sam had just called me and he was going through some stuff. She said, yeah, me too. I said, well, I have a key. Let's go in. I opened the door. I let us in. And then um, I just went to the bathroom real quick because I was really nervous. Seriously, seriously to cover up Sam, and so I well, why? How would that cover up Sam? To make it look like he was on the run and he did. He was the one that did it, right? I reached a point to where I couldn't even believe that I was doing this. I, I don't know. I don't know. What the fuck? So I laugh. So just in case some people can't hear it very well, totally understand. I got a rundown for you. Stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, killed Sam in the theater attic by shooting him in the head. He did not die immediately. He actually says, I've been shot, get me help. To which Dan says on that audio, he reloads the gun and shoots him again in the head. Oh my God. Then, a couple hours later, goes and does a play right downstairs. That part's not in there, but I'm letting you know. What the fuck? He then went to Sam's house using Sam's phone that he stole after killing Sam, textually pretending to be him, saying that he really needs someone to talk to. Dan meets her at the apartment, says he has Sam's key. They both go in together. He goes use the restroom because he's nervous because he's about to kill another person. Walks into Dan's ro- or into Sam's room, like bends over at like Sam's bed, and he's like, "Oh, look at this." Julie looks, shoots her twice in the back of the head. Once again, he goes and plays another show, and then. The next morning, he heads back up to the attic, dismembers Sam, cuts off his head, his hands, so he can't be identified. He also cuts off one of his arms to take away the tattoo that he held on him to identify him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, he throws this in, like, a wooded area of a park near Long Beach. Later, he would take detectives. Either he took detectives there or he told them, but they recover most of them. They don't find his head. Oh, my God. He then goes to a party... For the theater they are doing in celebration for the last show. And the photos of this party. It's like, it's kind of similar to, oh god, what's his name? The kid that threw the party with his dead parents in the house. Yeah, it was like. How he was taking photos too. But you can you kind of see his photos in your head? Like his kind of looked like he was going through it, right? Yeah, yeah. Daniel Wozniak is literally a dude at a party. Like, he hasn't just killed two people, dismembered one of them. In, like, actually insane, but, like, not insane asylum insane. <laughs> like, straight to prison no. insane. <laughs> no. Straight to jail. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, talking with detectives and finally telling the truth of the events that happened, they ask him, after a moment of silence, grasping what they heard. They literally have, like, dismemberment? You could just you, you can read their mind, you know. You did you did what now? <laughs> you you, you, what, you sure me? about that? You sure about that? <laughs> I'll give you a second to think about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a second. So he's continuing on with wanting to go to the mental hospital, and they ask like, "What was going through your mind when you were doing that?" To which he says, "I was actually smiling and laughing." Because he's trying to act more insane than what he is. Than he is, yeah. So I was getting to Rachel Mabel Fay. I just like saying her name. (laughs) Do you think she has anything to do with this? Like, you heard the 911 call. What do you think? I think that she doesn't. Because she was just like, well, you're recorded, so here you go. Unless (laughs) she knew that, and then she was like, I'm going to, you know. Mm. 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 We got some Chris Watts and... Exactly. It is like I with Chris Watts fully. She was involved. There's that. There's that footage. That video. That that still. Uh. Uh. No. Yeah. One day, BBs. One day. But this one, I'm unsure. But then there's also a video that you can watch of her coming into the room with Daniel. Hold on. (laughs) I'll get into it. She was ordered under court to come in for accessory to murder. Okay, technical difficulties over here. She's been told that she needs to come to court for accessory to murder because Mm -hmm. while Daniel's in the interrogation room, they bring her in, okay? They want to see how she reacts to this. And when he tells her what he's done, she is absolutely nonchalant no tears no fear barely any questions either just very oh why just just it's just it's odd it's very odd and everyone copes in their own way i know but this is odd that's eerily similar to to nicole oh yeah she was so chill i mean she was kind of chill but also she has cops in her family it's a little bit different yeah, I guess, yeah. But 
different, but okay. not really. <laughs> but not really. They're the same picture. So Steve, uh, Sam's dad, believes she was fully involved in pointing the finger at Sam and that she misled detectives intentionally. And honestly, I'm on Steve's side. <laughs> now that I think about it. Okay. We, we stand Steve. We stand Steve. Two years after looking into her, she was found guilty of two counts of being an accessory after the fact. On September 12, 2018, she was sentenced to count one, two years, and count two, eight months. She had to finish the first one, and then with good behavior, she could get out on house arrest, which she was, and got the last six months of house arrest. So she served time. Uh, yeah, a, a bit. A bit, but like it's also like not for sure certain. Like it's a little certain. So it's a little bit of time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know who else should be serving accessory? The brother Tom. Or Tim. Tim. Or whatever. Well, he didn't know. He didn't know what was in the bag. He didn't, supposedly. He didn't look. Mm, and the detectives know? also said that he's, like, he's not all there. Like, oh. he is. He's he's a general citizen, but he's, he's like me. You just tell me to do something. Okay, I'll just throw this bag over here. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. Like, he didn't know. <laughs> all right so Fine. the motive for killing sam and julie was that julie would appear to have been killed by sam but in reality daniel wozniak killed them both so he could frame sam take the sixty thousand dollars that sam had saved from the military as in he was in the military didn't go out and party didn't buy food all the time didn't buy bitches didn't do shit he saved his money that oh i'm sorry so you you murdered two people mm -hmm. for sixty thousand dollars for sixty thousand dollars oh get this rachel knew they were having money troubles as well and she was also planning a wedding and on top of that daniel wanted to go on a cruise for their honeymoon and the cost of doing that was two humans lives to him so it's like not only do i want the money but i want to go on this cruise for my honeymoon Mm -mm. I put your ego in a basket. Just leave it there. Walk leave it away. there. Like he's literally unemployed. You're They're both unemployed. And then he kills. Oh my God. One of the lines that just tore me apart was that Sam came home from Afghanistan where everyone and anything was trying to kill him. He came home to where he's supposed to be safe now. And he was murdered in his own apartment building. Like, let that That's sink in. I, I did, and I'm, now I'm going to cry. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, good news. His sentence was, was good. It's okay. You can cry. After more than five years of court proceedings, Daniel went to trial and was convicted on two counts of first-degree murder. He was found guilty and sentenced to death in September of 2016 in a less than an hour, and it's a record for how fast they did it. He holds the record Good. for how fast they sent him to death. He's incarcerated at California's, or he was incarcerated at California San Quentin State Prison until July 2021, and he is currently waiting execution in the California Medical Facility. And that's the murder of Julie Kibuishi and Sam Hare. I... Uh... I have no words. Like what? <laughs> I know. I, it's, it's just so upsetting and frustrating. You killed two people because you wanted some money. Because you wanted money. And you didn't want to get a job. And they were two good people. Mm-hmm. Because you and your fiancé are pieces of shit. Yep. I'm roping her into this. I don't give a shit. Right? Like, it's conflicting. It's, like, not fully sure. But I like that she did get a little bit of time because I think there's a little bit of knowing within her. Even if she was just, like, you better go find a way to pay for this wedding. Right. Even that. Yeah. Like, fucking don't. If you can't afford to do it, go don't to, do it. Get a civil union. And also, they're both unemployed. Get a job. Exactly. Get a job. Get a job. Literally get go a job. Go to Walmart. I don't care. 
I, I work, you know, go work at Starbucks. I, I did it. You can do it. I'm doing it now. <laughs> exactly. Like, like get a fucking job and, and then you can have, you know, a little wedding. Save up for it. It's something you save up for if you want a wedding. Together. Yeah. And a honeymoon, you have to, oh my God, you have to save up for it. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to splurge. And you can't take a veteran and murder him for his $60,000 that he, he saved up. Like, he did the work. And now you're going to kill him? He did him? the work and above and beyond. <sighs> yeah. And you killed me with that line. Thanks. I'm sorry. There's also a really great photo of Steve and um, Julie's mom on, like, a stage talking at a convention. And she reaches over to, like, hold his hand because they're both going through it. And they both lost their children to the same monster. And, yeah, it's really impacting. Impactful. Impactful. So, yeah. Um, thanks. I hate it. Mm-hmm. We have to end the show now. <laughs> um, what? Do you have a good good? Um, not at the moment. Live show's coming up in October. There live show. Yeah. We have a live show in October. You guys can get discount tickets. Yep. From PNW, so Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest. Google it. Go to this, this thing, and it's Bloodbath... 15. 15? Yeah. Yes, Bloodbath 15. All one word. You can get discount tickets. We'll be there telling you one of our favorite stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And there will be a bunch of other podcasts that are from the Pacific Northwest, and that's where we started. So, yay! Going back, I'm literally it's be great. It's I'm in like Seattle, October eighth and ninth. Not like it's shockingly so excited. Fun. Like I'm not as nervous as I am excited. Like I'm actually like excited. We're excited. Yeah, so it's excited. gonna be so fun. <laughs> so our first live show. Be there or be square. Square. Because you're not around. Because <laughs> you're not around. Lol. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And we'll catch you next week. But wait, there's more. Bye 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 b